We start with question number one because a lot of us don't understand this. What is LGBTQT and uh, plus? This community, what is it? We start with this because it's no longer the issue of being gay. It used to be. I mean, back then it's like they're gay, they're not gay. It's, it's more complicated this. We, we make jokes about this. It's not a joke to the people that deal with this. One thing that I want to just bring awareness to is, is we've got to stop with the negative wrong attitudes towards the people that are lost. The world that we live in doesn't fully understand where we stand, and they, we don't understand where they're at. Here's some sexual identity terms that they use in their world. The biological sex of someone is what you are born with according to your uh, anatomy, the way that you were made up. This is the sexual organs that you have. Gender identity is different. It's according to your general feeling on the spectrum between male and female. It's what you feel is your identity. I'm a boy, but I feel like I'm a girl. Sexual orientation is the gender that one is attracted to, whether romantically or sexually. It's who you love. That's where we get gay, lesbian, and bi. Gender expression is how a person chooses to express outwardly how they feel inwardly. This is how you look or act. This is where we get like transgender people or people that dress like the opposite sex. Heterosexual is someone that's attracted to the opposite gender. It's what most of us are in here. Homosexual is also a term that is used among them, and I know it's used in the Bible, and I know it's used in churches, but that means someone that is attracted to the same gender. Pansexual is attracted to all identities. It means that I am somebody that is attracted to bi, straight, transgender, it's, it's uh, all encompassed. Cisgender or asexual is a person that has no sexual attraction. There are some people that just say, I, 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 could, I could live this way and never have sex for the rest of my life. I don't have urges one way or the other. I'm just kind of neutral. Cisgender is someone whose gender identity matches the way that they were assigned at birth, which we would say that I'm cisgender. I'm a man. I identify with a man. I am attracted to the opposite sex. But the thing that you find a lot in billboards, Facebook, Google, everything else is LGBTQ+. Plus, these are titles that they identify themselves with and as. L stands for lesbian. It's a woman that's attracted to a woman. G stands for gay. It's men who are attracted to men. B stands for bisexual. Often they say, I am bi. It literally means that I am attracted to both. I have a switch that I flip back and forth. T stands for transgender. Those are people that their genders does not match up with how they feel. They choose to transition their bodies to match their mind or feelings. Sometimes this is done through a surgery, and sometimes this is done just by altering their look. Q is queer. Now, that word used to be in a lot of things that used to be derogatory. They use it as an umbrella term addressing the entire community. So they will sit there and say, I'm part of the queer community. I, that means that I identify with homosexuals, gays, bisexuals, the, the, transgender, the whole thing. It's, it's an umbrella term that they use, that they use, not just uh, us. It's they use. It's an umbrella term. Q also has a double. Sometimes they put Q in there twice, and sometimes it's used just for this. And it also means questioning. It means that they're at a state where they say, I don't know. I'm questioning my gender identity. I'm questioning whether I like men or women. I'm at this stage in my life that I don't know. Then there's the plus. Now, you don't always see the plus. They advertise the plus a lot. This is intersex. This is asex. This is ally. Ally is someone that is not queer, but they accept those that are part of the queer community. This is talking about people that are gender fluid. Sometimes that identifies with genders at different times. I literally, sometimes I wake up, I want to be a man, and sometimes I want to be a woman. Gender, gender neutral. They don't feel as if they're male or female. They, they, I, it's not just a matter of I'm attracted to one or the other. It literally means I don't even know if I'm male or female. Then there's also a thing called third gender. Someone that does not identify with man or woman, but rather they say that there must be another gender that's not discovered or I don't know what it is. And so if you see somebody like that, they're normally dressed like, I don't know what that was that I just saw. And it's the idea that there's no identity to it. And that's actually what they're going for. I don't want to be associated with man or woman. And the list goes on and on. If I was to keep going with the letters that they attach with the plus, it would make your mind spin. And that's not my point. That's not my agenda. 
whatsoever. In their own words, they say that there's many other levels, but it can get quite confusing. And I take that right from when I was reading this and studying this. They said it can get. And some of the other things that I I could list, you'd be like, what in the world? And, And they don't fully understand it themselves. But I can tell you, this list keeps growing and will continue to grow. And there's total confusion. But the thing that I want to point out is they're constantly trying to discover who they are. And, and that's a big part of my message, and it'll be the opening of tonight's message when we do the Q&A thing as well. Who am I? Or it used to be the questions that we used to ask, who am I? Why am I here? You know, what is my purpose? But now it's what am I? Who can I love? Who will love me? Who will accept me? It's gone deeper to this, and it shouldn't be surprised because... God is not the author of confusion. The further we get away from the word of God, the more confusion there is. Uh, If if there's anything that I can do through this message today, I want people to walk out of here with a burden. I will get to that here in a little bit. I want you to walk out of here with a burden because I think most of the time we walk around with disgust more than burden. We do. We're we're just so turned off by it. It's like, you know, it's just like, it's it because we don't understand what they're going through. Question number two, what does the Bible say about the LGBTQ community? What does it say about this issue? Let's start off by saying that the word of God is not a buffet. You, you don't walk around with the things that God has said from Genesis to Revelation and go, oh, I'll, I'll take some eternal security and oh, the love of God. And when it comes to do's and don'ts, like, ah, I'm not really into that. It's, it's not a buffet. You don't choose what you're going to do. This is, and I started off in our notes by when it comes to this point, the Bible is our final authority. It is it. And the reason why there's no line that they can get to and say, ah, I know what I am, or I know how I feel, or I know why I'm this way, is because there's no final authority. There's nothing to measure themselves up to. There's nothing to identify with. So if you're sitting there going, "I, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. They're lost. That's why the Bible calls them lost. But see, for us, we have a final authority. If God says it, we believe it. It's, it's just, it used to, I used to hear people say things like, well, God said it, you know, I believe it, that settles it. Well, let me rephrase that. God said it, that settles it. <laughs> if you believe it or not, he's the final authority. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the author of everything. He's the giver of life. He's the giver of genders. He will be our judge at the end and the creator at the beginning. And that's where a lot of Christians get off. They sit there and when you sit there and reject the word of God, you understand that the Bible says, and I've done this through the entire series, is the Lord speaks righteousness. I declare the things that are right. That's what God said. And you say, you've said that over and over again. There was a point to that. God was saying from the very beginning that he is the one that declares that this is right. Now, in order to accept and walk into these areas that we're discussing, you have to literally say, you know what? That's great when it came to my mom and dad, or that's great when it comes to church, or man, I love it when it comes to going to heaven, but get out of my face. To reject the word of God is to reject God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. It is, it, this is God. This is the message of God. And you say, I can't believe in a God that what? If you want to know what you believe in when it comes to God, all you have to do is read it. It says it. And I want you to know that people have said this, and I've heard this. Times have changed. But let me say, when it comes to the authority of God's word, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. That includes this one that we live in. God's word is for this generation. So we go back to the question that people ask. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I? We look at this confusion. All of those questions are answered in the word of God. Now I'm going to go into this next part. And this is the main thing that I wanted to get across in this session. The Bible calls homosexuality a sin. The Bible is very clear about this. There are no gray areas. And, and we'll look in the Old Testament and say, well, that was Old Testament. That was, that was, uh, that was under the law, not under grace. And then we look at this, and then people would twist these and things like this. Let me tell you, from the very, very beginning, when Satan slithered into society, he came in with one agenda, and that was he could not change the word of God, but he could twist it. Did God really say that? And he's not stopped doing that ever since. 
Adam and Eve knew what they believed. They even quoted. Eve quoted to Satan what she believed. But then Satan said, is that really what he meant? Let me tell you, that has not changed whatsoever even in our culture today. I'll give you six main passages that address this in the, in the Bible. Number one is Genesis 19. This is the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, uh, we know this is the greatest display of the judgment of God outside of the book of Revelation. This is a, a time where God can, uh, says, I will judge sin. God is a judge of sin. He is a judge of what is wrong. We studied that in our series. If you didn't get all that, man, I challenge you to go back and watch the Facebook live feeds of this and the podcast. There's a great debate that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah had nothing to do with homosexuality. And they said that that was about for other sins. And I'll point out where they came and, and that's the one thing. Guys, I have, I have looked at the arguments from the other side because I want to know where is the confusion at? How have things been twisted? Where are they coming from on this? I want to know because I want to give answers to these things. And the Lord said, because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous. Now, I, I, at some point, I want to talk about this. And if God gives me liberty in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do this. But the, the cry of homosexuality, the cry of the sin, the cry of the whole gamut of sins. And you sit there and say, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was all about homosexuality. No, it was not. There was a whole bunch of sins. And I'll prove it here in Scripture in just a minute. But I can tell you their sin was crying out, lifted up before God. And it was very grievous when it came to that. It was very heavy. It broke the heart of God. Ezekiel 16, 49 explains this. Behold, this was the iniquity of this, my, thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in their hands and in, their, in her daughter and daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore, I took them out away as I saw good. Now, I'm going to explain something right there. The Bible even itself interprets and said, when it comes to Sodom and Gomorrah, yes, it wasn't just for this. And I'm going to tell you, in this world, even churches, and I saw Bible teachers that sat down and said, let me explain why churches are wrong to teach against this. And they go to these passages and say, God didn't just, you know, punish them because of homosexuality. There was a lot more to it. It was all these other sins. And so they, they, they roll over over there. But it also says in there, the word abomination. I will go deeper into this tonight because I have so much to cover this morning. But abomination is something that is morally disgusting. It literally means it's something with God that says that it really has a, it's a, has a ripple effect. It, it affects more than just one thing. It, it's, it's morally disgusting. Before you start labeling everything, the Bible says lying lips is an abomination before God. Sometimes we like to categorize sins and put them in the level, you know, six things does the Lord hate, seven is abomination. Read that list of what it was talking about. There's a lot more in there. But we will come back to this and, and explain. So they come, the, the Bible explains the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The two angels go into Sodom and they stay with Lot. The men in the city go to Lot's door to ask for the men to come out. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And this is one of those things. And they said all they wanted to do was interrogate. They wanted to ask questions. They were like the guards of the city. So don't twist this into something that it's not. We want to know them and interrogate them. But notice Lot's response. And Lot went out of the door unto them and shut the door after them and said, I pray thee, brethren, do not do so wickedly. So this was more than just policies and procedures that they were following. He says, hey, don't do this bad thing. I'm, I'm begging you, don't do this bad thing, okay? And he explains in verse 8, and it's clear of what was going on. Was this just an interrogation or did it go deeper this? Behold now, now this is disgusting. You talk about morally depraved, an abomination. L listen to what he's saying. I have two daughters which have not known a man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye unto them as is good in your eyes. Now I'm asking you, does this have something to do with interrogation? He's sitting there and saying, you got some questions for them? I'll just go get my daughters, and you can do what you want with them, 
And it's, no, it's not interrogation. There was a drive. There was, a, there was an appetite, whatever. And they, wouldn't, they didn't even, weren't even satisfied with that. And besides that, let me tell you, when Christians or Lot, which was somebody that claimed to follow God, gets into the world, it's amazing how your morals and perspective will be twisted and changed. And sit there and say that there's pastors and preachers and all this other stuff. There's a famous preacher in our culture in America that just came out yesterday, yesterday, and made an apology that he ever preached and said anything against the homosexual movement or the sin of homosexuality. This just happened. It happens. It's, it's, it's in our culture a lot. So behold, now I have two daughters which have not known a man. And talked about knowing them in the sexual sense of this. But this passage brings out that it was sin, it was wicked, and that it was an abomination. It was sexual. But the question comes up, and I've had this even on their website. They say, yes, God was pointing out what they were doing in the sense of it was like a gang rape. Bring them out so that we can all have our way with them. Jude 1.7. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, set forth an example, suffering vengeance of eternal fire. The word fornication is sexual sin. And so you've got that, yes, it was prevalent then and it's prevalent now. But he said, going after strange flesh, that which is not natural or designed by God. Leaving the natural sense or even explaining that there was fornication. People that were sexually driven and doing the things that they should not be doing. It said, yes, there's that side, but there was also those that were doing fornication and leaving the natural aspects of a man or woman to do that. And he even explains that. Ezekiel 16, 50. And they were haughty and committed abominations before me. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. Abominations. The question is, is that homosexuality? Brings us to another verse. Leviticus 18, 22. But thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thou self-worth. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down whereunto. It is confusion. And by the way, the Bible not only causes confusion, it's, it's they even are in a state. If, if they have to put LGBTQ and say questioning, because it's confusing. It's confusing. You say, this is Old Testament. There's the law. They also had, they couldn't mix fabrics, and they couldn't pick up sticks on the Sabbath day, and they, they would stone people for doing wrong. All that is true, I agree. But the Bible says in verse 13, if a man also lie with mankind as he lie with woman, both of them have committed an abomination. And it's clear from the Old Testament that God called it an abomination. Literally, it goes against the morals that God has established with this. This is moral law, meaning that in the Old Testament, murder and rape and all of those things were wrong. The ceremonial law changed. But when God said don't kill, he didn't stop that under the age of grace. Oh, you live under the age of grace. Go ahead and kill, rape, murder, all that other stuff. No, God raised the level with moral law in the New Testament. He said, it was wrong for you to have fornication, adultery before. He said, let me say this. If you look upon a woman with, a, with lust in your heart, you've committed a, a, adultery already in your heart. He made it more about the intent of man, not just the actions of man. He made that very clear. And I know this is right when it says about Old Testament, New Testament, because it's very clear, because it's carried over to the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye that all that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulter, or idolaters and adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. And it lists a bunch of other sin. Two references here. Number one is effeminate. That is soft, or that person that uh, it, 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 it has a man that has the characteristics of a woman. They're, they're, they're softer. They dress that way. You can go really deep with that word because it's not effeminate. It's not a word we use every day, but the Bible uses it. But also abusers of themselves with mankind. It's talking about a, a sodomite. Abuser was someone that does the same thing with the same gender. It says they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Why is that? Not because they're gay. Because it's sin. It's a trespass. We cross over. And unless we are covered in the righteousness of God, we are not forgiven. But God makes it very clear. He also in that same passage, and I could go really deep into this, where the Bible talks about when that sin is brought into the church. And you need to study that in 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. When it talks about this stuff, it talks about the, the, the dangers 
of us bringing that into the church and how it spreads. And that's where the, we get the, the passage, a little leaven leavened the whole bu- uh, bunch. If there's six uh, uh, sexual sins in the church and we sit there and say it's not a big deal. It's not just affecting you, it's affecting the body of Christ. And that's why there's got to be clear answers with this. 1 Timothy 1.8, knowing this, that the law is made a righteous man, but for the lawlessness and disobedient. For the ungodly and the sinners and the unholy and profane and murders of fathers and murders of mothers and manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. Again, they're using the same thing. Defining that is sin. Get to the main passage that most people get to and the reason that it came up in my righteousness series is because it does start in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans explains the depravity of man, the righteousness and unrighteousness of man. And it says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, ungodliness of men, who hold the truth in righteousness or in unrighteousness. And we've studied this in depth when it comes to this. But God doesn't keep us in the dark. God never says, we don't know what God wants, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, and that's the culture that we live in. Does anybody really know that it's right and wrong? And God says, yes, I have not kept you in the dark when it comes there. Wherefore, God has also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, this phrase is vital because it says God gave them over. God gave them up in this passage. And something you have to understand, they just came out of the Old Testament. Man, you do a sin, you get punished for it. You get brought before. That's why the woman that was caught in adultery, she sinned, bring her out, lift up the stones, handle this right now. But the Bible says in this, and they're introducing grace, and he says he let them go. Literally let them run their course. There was not the punishment that was brought down on them. And three times that is used in this passage. But this is where it gets into the sin. Who changed the truth of God into a lie, nor worshipped and served the uh, creator more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. They made themselves their own rulers. They got away from what is right. They got away from the word of God. And they made themselves their own rulers. They began to worship creation more than the creator. Man, is that not exactly what our culture has done? You cannot harm the egg of an eagle without going to prison. But you can go inside the womb of a mother, butcher a child, and it's okay flipped it. We have completely flipped it. We worship the creation more than the creator. We listen to our hearts and feelings more than we do to the the one that has made those things. He's speaking that. He said, for this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. Okay, just understand. You say, what is he talking about? Is it wrong? All these other things that he's talking. He calls it vile affections, a disgrace, a dishonor, a shame. That's what he says. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. So what does God call this? He calls it a disgrace or shameful. And you know what? It's not ironic that we associate gay pride with the very thing that God says is shame. They've flipped it right there. It's all of a sudden that one thing that they were hiding in shame, but now it's brought out in pride because it does not honor God. But in this phrase, it talks about the natural use, the way the human body was designed by God to come together for sex. There's no natural there that can be there because of the fact that the way that God created the very makeup of a man and a woman to come together in intimacy, and you sit there and take that apart and you do it another way, and you say it doesn't fit, it doesn't match, it doesn't work. And God calls that, it's not natural. It wasn't made to be that way. It wasn't connected. There would, there'll never be the fulfillment that there should be because you've changed what God created and designed and used it another way. Romans 1.27, Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust one toward another, men working with that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat, which was accomplished through this. They burned in their lust. They desired this. And all of this. Now, 
I'd love to bring this out even this. When the Bible talks about the vile affection that was mentioned in this, he, he, he doesn't beat around the bush with what he's saying. He, he comes right out and says this in, in the midst of this. He said, as vile affection, you change what I made and I turn yourself over to the air. I let yourself go to running your sin when it comes to this. You say, that sin, I was born with this. They burned with lust. They had a desire. Let me say that the sin nature is in all of us. Satan loves to pull us away from that which is right, the same way that Adam and Eve did in the garden. Everything that was right that they found in God, let me illustrate because I keep doing this anyways. Everything that they found that was right with God, Satan's goal was to pull them away from what was right and said, what about that tree? And they come looking for this over here. That's human nature in all of us. And by the way, it happened with Cain and Abel too. We sit there and say, I was born with these desires. Just because you're born with the desires doesn't make them right. And that's what happens. Uh, Cain was born with the desire to be right and to be superior over his brother. When his brother challenged him and God honored him more than what? He turned out and he killed it. They was born that way. That's true, but it wasn't right. God, it wasn't what God intended to be. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. And who can know it? It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says that our feelings in the inside of us can be wrong. I can prove it. Have you ever gotten really mad at somebody or some of the guys said, man, I got so mad at him that I, I, I hauled off and punched him. It was wrong, but it sure did feel, it felt good. <laughs> it said it was wrong. And we sit there and go by feelings and emotions. You better watch yourself when you go by feelings and emotions because it was like, I just feel this way. Feelings and emotions can be wrong and lead you away and get us into trouble. It, it, it's there. It's there. And see, this, this sin nature that we have comes out of us in different ways. We don't all have the same struggles. For some, it's food. For others, it's greed. For others, it's bitterness. For some, it's pride. It's, it's different with all of us. Anger, lust, fornication, or being attracted to the same sex. The thing is, when people say, I was born with these desires, we're all born with vile desires. We are. That's why a baby can be born and cry for milk or attention or to be picked up when there's nothing wrong. We're born depraved in this way. People say, I was born this way. This is my identity. What is true about this statement is that we are born with desires and lusts that go against God. I'm not debating if people have these feelings. I'm debating that if we are born with these feelings, it's not okay. The Bible is very clear in teaching that this is sin. But on the other side, nowhere in the Bible does God ever give us an example of a homosexual relationship in a positive way. You sit there and say, what does the Bible say against it? 66 books of the Bible, 1,600 years of history, and in that. Now, I know there's verses and stuff that are twisted, and by that I truly mean that they're twisted. One of the examples that they will give you is the fact that Ruth and Naomi became lovers. Another one that they will say is David and Jonathan, their hearts were knit And he loved him and he gave him his cloak and he was devoted unto him that they were gay lovers and that David was a bisexual and things like that. You have to twist scripture. I warn you, do not twist God's word to say something it does not. One way or the other. No doubt, but this leads to another question. Why does God call homosexuality or this issue, LGBTQ issue, a sin? Is it sin? We say yes, but what's wrong with it? You sit there and say that to most people and they say, I, I, I know what you're going to say. You're going to tell me that it's wrong, but it doesn't make sense to me. Why would God want you to be happy and for them not to be happy? Why, why would God make exceptions for one and not the other? Well, I don't understand what's wrong with loving someone. There is a slogan that says love is love. That is one of the topics that we will cover tonight. Is that statement true? We will address that in detail tonight. Don't tell me who I can love when it comes to this. From a Christian's perspective, being a follower, this makes sense. That God made Adam and Eve, man and woman, that's it, that settles it. But from their perspective, it looks like we're just narrow-minded. Why does God call it sin? I'm going to give you a very practical answer. And and, and, uh, God says it's wrong because it does not work. I, I, I want to explain this, okay? God says it's wrong because it does not work. God does not simply hold things from us just to be mean. God does not call something sin or wrong just to do it. God declares what is right because he is the author of, he's the one that created it from the beginning. 
he knows because he created things. And if we study with what God says about righteousness, when, when, like when we talked about you cross that line, God's not just saying, oh, don't, don't do that. He's saying because on the other side of the line, there's things that will hurt you. It's not healthy for you. It's not good for you. It will sin brought pain. And if God ever says something, and you might say, Woo, you know, it's not that bad. Hey, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you sit there, and the Bible says that there's pleasure of sin for a season. And, and sin is a, is, a, is a disease that tears us apart over time. And sin, when it is finished, bring it forth death. It's not always right up front. So here, let's answer this question. It does not work because God created men and women to be different on purpose. I'm going to try to illustrate and explain this. And I know this is going to open a whole bunch of uh, problems and, and questions this. But you take a little kid, and I, I, my kids when they're little, and they come out of their closet. Uh, wrong phrasing. When they come out of being dressed. Uh, when they come out of uh, getting dressed uh, <laughs> out of their bedroom. And, and they're wearing um, two, two shoes that they found in their bedroom. And they're both left foot or both uh, right footed. And mom says, no, those are both left-footed shoes. And the kid says, so what? I like them. What's wrong with it? The mom says, those were not designed to be worn like that. A left shoe was made for the left foot and right for the right foot. That's the way that it was. And the child walks around and says, I don't see anything wrong with it. It's okay. By the end of the day, that kid is going to be walking funny and have blisters. Now, the shoe manufacturer would come up and say, let me explain this. I created this, I know. The way that they were formed and made, it was that, that they would compliment you, they would not hurt you. And that's what we don't understand. If we get away from the author that knows and designed marriage, man, woman, our, our body parts and everything else, and we sit there and say, I think it would work this way. If you get away from the one that wrote the manual and designed it from the very beginning, it might work at first, but it, eventually it will not, it will fall apart. Ah. Uh. At the beginning of creation, God made what he knew worked. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created he them, male and female, to be different. God designed it from the very beginning different. The same way that the left and right shoes were made to be different on purpose. We strive so much to try to make genders the same that we ruin God's design of why they were made different. Let me say this, and I need an amen. Women are amazing creatures. Now, it should have been really loud with the men on that. And they were like, well, we argued this morning. I'm not, uh, I'm not going there. And God created men to be incredible creatures. Amen. Okay, let's go on. <laughs> and the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helpmate for him. I would love to preach a message within this about the blessings of singleness. Because sometimes we sit there and lift up being married so much. Paul was single and he did a lot more being single than he ever could being married. And sometimes we treat people and come down on them because we need to fix them up. What does that very word mean? I need to fix you up. Literally means you are messed up and I need to improve your life. Sometimes God has people that are just be single, maybe for a season, maybe for life, maybe for reasons, maybe to be like Paul, I don't know. But sometimes we shove people into areas. So I am not at all saying that you are, you are miserable and, and messed up if you are not married. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in the context of marriage between two people coming together, Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him, a partner or a counterpart. They will complement each other. Men and women are so different, not just the sex organs that God gave them that makes them different, but I'm talking about head to toe, brain, eyes, and muscle size is different between them. I'm going to take a break. Watch this. Men and women's brains work very differently. Men tend to be more factual with their thought and action, and women tend to be more intuitive. Here are two scans of a man and woman's brain at rest. Notice how a woman's brain is far more active at rest. This is why women tend to want to talk after a hard day to process, while men want to process in solitude. Women want to talk it out, process, and explore. Men want to give their brain time to explore, unwind, and decide what to do next. Why do women remember everything? This is because women have a larger hippocampus. 
This is where we store memories. And it's why women can recall every single word of an argument five years ago. The prefrontal cortex, or PFC, this is the decision center of the brain that controls social behavior, judgment, and consequential thinking. Some interesting differences between men and women and their PFC. Women develop their PFC at a younger age, which is why they take less risks as teenagers than males of the same age. Women also have a larger PFC. Men have a larger amygdala, which means men can have more processing power for threats, while women have more processing power for detail. Anterior cortex, where people process emotions, arrange memories, and ruminate, also known as the worrywart center of the brain. Some interesting differences between men and women's anterior cortex. Women have a larger anterior cortex, which means they spend more time ruminating, trying to process emotions, and, well, worrying. The brain is divided into two hemispheres, the right brain, which uses more creative and intuitive thought, and the left brain, which is for linear and logical thinking. They are connected by something called corpus callosum, a thick bundle of nerves connecting the right and left side of the brain. Some interesting differences between men and women. Women's corpus callosum is 25% larger than men's. This means that women tend to bounce back and forth between feelings and facts very easily. Men like to think in steps, processing one fact at a time. In other words, men think in straight lines, whereas women think in webs, constantly connecting ideas. Testosterone is the principal right, male hormone. Don't get a big head. Men okay. have way more. All you women, women are like, amen but to women that. Have testosterone Finally, too. some truth. Over in here. fact, the way testosterone acts in the body points to some interesting gender differences. Some interesting differences between men and women. Men produce 20 to 30 times more testosterone than women. Men need to replenish their testosterone levels to feel successful and feel terrible when their testosterone levels are low. Although women and men both have testosterone, it's processed differently in stress responses. Oxytocin is the chemical that helps us feel social attachment. It's incredibly important for our social interactions. Both men and women produce and need it to connect. A lot of oxytocin means there is more trust and rapport between people. Some interesting differences between men and women. In both men and women, oxytocin reduces blood pressure and feelings of fear. In women, oxytocin can rise during a relaxing conversation and fall in response to feeling ignored or abandoned. All right, so this was this much of an issue this big. I, it goes on and on. I looked at another website that had this, and it was just, it was, these are Christian agenda things that are like promoting this issue. They're just saying the study of the human being. Now, I'm going to explain a number of things from that and, and from, uh, do this. Let me, let me just step into the world of transgender for a minute, and, and that we can go a lot of places with this. You can paint the house, but you're not changing the wiring, the plumbing, and the framework of it. And that's what's happening. They, they have a gender change. What you're talking about up there is not part. All those things, the brain, da 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 and then, then, then they take pills to try to change that and alter things. And all of a sudden, they wonder, why don't I feel right or whatever? Because you can't change what God intended for it to be. You can't. And, and, and the, the attempts to do that, they end up mutilating themselves, literally through surgeries of doing all this stuff that they do, mutilating their bodies to become something else. And guys, by the way, that ought to break our hearts, not make us mad. Look what they're doing the same way that Elijah, when he was praying down fire from heaven, and they were dancing up on there and cutting themselves, crying out to a God that didn't, different, uh, didn't exist. And Elijah comes down and he prays before them and they stand back and says, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Because they saw it after they mutilated themselves because they were lost and confused. But that's not the point here. The point is that we strive so hard to make men and women the same in one way or the other. And there's all sorts of aspects of this that we lose out on what makes us so different. And like a wheel that has a rim and a tire, one is not more important than the other, but they work together in sync to produce something beautiful. God made it that way. 
We could sit there and list the strength and weaknesses of men and women, and we're going to be two different lists. But God says, when I bring you together, I'm able to make something that completes each other in a, in a special way. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made a woman, and he brought her unto man. And he said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. For she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Besides the fact that God emphasizes over and over again the foundation of marriage being man and woman, God emphasizes the fact that they were to cleave unto one another. It's not just an emotional, sexual thing. It was a bond internally made by God. They were part of each other in a special way. They were not made just for sex, but they were made to connect on various levels to complete each other. They were created for balance and fulfillment. Same-sex marriages and relationships miss out on the balance. Inwardly, they know that they try to seek to this. And I don't understand this. I am speaking straight right now out of observation. But you see them in either in a gay or lesbian relationship. You see one that tries to be the, the, the male or female of the two. There's one that's softer or one that's more. And you see that. I, 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 there's famous couples on TV and stuff like that. And I thought, why is that? Because there's something naturally inside of us that we need to lean on somebody and to bring the variety there. They try to manipulate it, but they can't manipulate and change what God created. Inwardly, they seek this. Why? Because there's a natural drive for balance to fulfill this. So why does God say that it's wrong? Because it does not work. Metro Weekly, a publication that was not pro-gay or anti-gay or anything else. In addition, they said this, in addition to depressed mood, gay and lesbian people were more likely to have intimate partner problems than straight men and women. Why is that? They, they, they said it's on there because you are taking two people that think exactly the same. There's no balance to it. There's no rim and tire. You, you've taken that away. You've put in two people that think exactly the same. And so you take away the balance of that, of the, the, of the strong versus the soft and all the different aspects that God created to be beautiful. They have the same brain processing, both connected on different levels or the same level that, as opposed to different levels. There's no balance. Within the statistic of suicide amongst lesbian women, almost 71% of suicide deaths, including, uh, are part of an intimate partner problem. That they are not connecting right and they don't know why. Because you are not. It's like taking the two magnets and turning them around. When you put the two same sides together, it doesn't work right. It wasn't the connection that God made for there to be there. It's different of 37% of men that end up suicide because of this issue. Because they don't process. They're not emotionally connected or not connecting in that way. A survey last year found that 85% of LGBTQ-identified uh, teens would rate their level of stress five or higher on a scale of one to two. When they were doing the survey with them, 95% of them said that they ex uh, had extreme anxiety going into the week of this, and they even had trouble sleeping at night. Why is that? I'll tell you why. Because they're seeking peace, and they're not finding it. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And I'll tell you, there are a hundred more examples when it comes to the problems of AIDS and disease and, and promiscuity and so many other things. But things don't look this way on the surface at first. And you say, why is that? Because it's the same principle of the shoe. And I think this is something where we've dropped the ball with. They have this need in their life. And number one, they go to the other side and they find acceptance. Number two, a woman walks up and talks to a woman and she comes out and says, you get me. And she's right. Because on surface level, there is a connection there that they both think the same way. I need this. I understand that. I feel this way. I get that too. It's there. But it's a trap because long term, it wasn't meant to be there. Iron does sharpen iron. They've taken something that was supposed to be there of mentorship and discipleship and Satan's painted it as something else. In reality, they're supposed to find those things in Jesus Christ and the things that God created. Number two. It does not work because God created us to find our identity in him. A huge question among all of them and people in general is what am I? How do I feel? How am I supposed to, to, to get through this and all these other questions? But no wonder that Q stands for questioning. They, they don't understand. Did you notice in the statements that wrap around this when they say I identify as gay or I identify, I self-identify as this? Why is that? Because where, where do we find our identity? I asked you, church, where do we find our identity? 
Identity, purpose, love, acceptance are all those things found in the Bible. So I'll illustrate it like this. God gives us all of those things. In order to reject God, and all of a sudden when God says, I've made you in the image of me, we find out how we're supposed to be. It's the same way as a puzzle. You take a puzzle, and you sit there and open it up and have it that you get from the yard sale that's in a Ziploc bag, and you come home and you say, what is this supposed to look like? I have no idea, but I got it for five cents. And then you start putting it together, and nothing makes sense, and you have no idea. But what God does is God said, I made you in my image. In the image of God, he made them, male and female, after our likeness. All those words are there in Genesis, as he's saying, Male and female, in the image of God, in the likeness of God. So God literally says this. We go up to God and say, this is what I'm supposed to be. That's where we find our identity. That's where we find our design. That's where we understand our purpose. Go out and procreate. That's why I'll give you dominion over those things. God says, I'll bring woman into your life. In the timing of God, I'll teach you. I'll show you. All those things are there. But let me show you what happens. If they're not finding it here... The further they get, the more letters they add to the alphabet of, of, of that equation. Why is that? Because where am I going to find it? The Bible says Satan has blinded the minds of those that believe not. They're lost in the darkness. They are their sheep having no shepherd. I could go on and on and on explaining that. So they try this, and that doesn't make me fulfilled. And I'm going to try to be a man, and that doesn't make me fulfilled. And I'm going to try being with a woman. That doesn't make me So what in the world am I? Where am I going to find this identity? Where am I going to find this? Only in God. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God is not the author of confusion. So the very fact, you say, what is wrong with the LGBT community? If they have to put the word questioning there, then they automatically leave out God. Did you hear me? Because God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to live. I gave you the answers of that. The very fact that they have no peace, no absolute truth without all these things. People say, what's wrong with me? Because people growing up and they target our kids when it comes to this. Why is that? I'll explain why. Because kids are awkward and, and weird and, and questioning and searching because they're going through puberty. And they're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Girls are crying one minute. and you know All these different things that they go through. And, and guys' bodies are changing. Their voices are changing. All these things. And they don't know what's wrong with me. I've used this example before, and some of you remember. It's the illustration of a hammer. If I just came out and find this thing, and I was from a foreign country or something like that, and I looked at that, I'd say, that is the weirdest object I've ever seen. I'd look it up and say, I don't know what this is for, and I don't know what it does. Sit there and say, well, somebody comes up and says, I heard it's, an, it's to build things with. And I tried doing that, and you know what I did? I tore the house down. I made holes in there. It, it ripped it apart. It's a mess. I don't know what this is for. Well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Or have you hit things with it? Whatever. And all of a sudden, nothing makes sense. What is supposed to do? What doesn't? But when we go up to the author that created and designed and everything else, all of a sudden, God says, this is where you hold it. And this is why I made you this way. And this is what you're supposed to do when you did that. And all of a sudden, you find your identity in Jesus Christ. And it makes sense. So that's what I do. And that's who I am. And I found fulfillment because somebody showed me and pointed me to the author that created it to begin with that understands every bit of the design because he was the designer of it. Amen. So I'm going to, I know I have to hurry. Uh, let me say, let me bring this in. There's so many things. When it comes to sex change and they mutilate their bodies, do you look up, if you just look up for yourselves, uh, uh, sex change regret or gender change regret of how high the percentage of, of that. More than half of transgender males who participate in the survey reported attempting suicide in their lifetime. 29.9% of the transgender females said that they attempted suicide. On average, 41% stated that they had attempted suicide, not even mentioning that. Why? I don't know what I am, and I changed it, and it's still not working. I don't get it. Once again, this ought to break our heart, not make us mad. It, it, it ought to be grieving inside of us. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Here's a song that we just sang. Let me read the words to you. 
This is, this, you sit there and say, I know because I stand with the word of God. I line myself up with righteousness. I know my design. I know my purpose. I know my creator. I know my author. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm supposed to do. So that's why we can sing songs like, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am who you say I am. Who the Son sets free, always free and did. indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. You know what that is? It's confidence. We get it because we found Jesus. We find purpose and plan and identity and all these things in Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, the whole LGBTQ plus is going to go on and on and on until they get here. Which brings up the question, how in the world are they going to get there? Let me tell you. How will they find Jesus Christ when they're way over here lost in this and they keep adding to this and they keep going deeper and all of a sudden they look over at the Christians and no offense, well actually there should be offense, if this is all they get, then you are wrong. You are wrong. And I'll prove it to you. Show me where Jesus ever did that. Jesus is our example. And he said, by the way, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Your job is simple and that is to lift up Jesus Christ. So I finish with this. How should we respond to the homosexual? How do you reach them? In all of our way of living, we follow Jesus Christ. It's not just how we feel. Don't go by your feelings. Because you sit there and say to them, well, I just feel as if I'm a man or a woman or whatever. We sit there and say, you shouldn't go by feelings. You know what Christians do? I just feel that it's wrong. I just feel that we shouldn't. I feel that... Why are we telling them not to go by feelings and go by facts when we're, we're, we're hypocrites? I know we all have feelings and, uh, when it comes to this issue. So here it is. Number one, we've got to start with a burden. Jesus saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. You know why? Because they fainted. They were worn out. You know, you know what that is? That those that fall over, their suicidal thoughts and miserable and trying desperate attempts at things and were scattered abroad. You know why? Because they had, as sheep having no shepherd, nobody walked in and said, hey, I know what truth is. Come this way. And by the way, that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to, this is what it is, to lift up the puzzle. And by the way, we are hypocrites. If we can't model what is the image of God, no wonder they're never going to find it. When we can't keep our marriages together, we can't keep our sexuality right we can't sit there and keep purity in our homes or in our teen lives or on our cell phones how in the world are we ever going to point them to the image of God when we're the ambassadors of Jesus Christ and they're doing wrong and we're doing wrong maybe this issue doesn't even need to be about them it needs to be all about us we need to straight up straighten up and be the church that God's called us to be so that they can see the image of God because we are the ambassadors Here's the next thing. We are to treat them the way that Christ would treat them. I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable, and I'm okay with that. Romans 1 begins with unrighteousness. It goes so deep and dark. He starts with the, 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 the sins that we sit there and say, oh, that just, oh, you know, that's a disgust. He starts with that. Do you understand in that same passage in Romans, he also mentions pornography? I'll, I'll you know, jump all over that tonight. You say, what? what? Yeah, it's, it's actually, it's all in the same passage. We just like to stop before we read that. Moving on. Romans 5, 6. When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man, one would die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How did Jesus love the lost? It's the same way that we must love the lost. We must demonstrate genuine love for them. So, whoa, I'll tolerate. I won't be mean to them. No, God demonstrated his love towards us. And you say, what? Do you know what they do? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word commendeth literally means introduce, exhibited. It's to stand near. He showed. It says toward us. Literally, his love wasn't just, hey, it was towards us. That's why Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He, saw, he got out of the boat and he said, why are we here, master? He said, I'm here for the one that's gone astray. 
We sit there and put up our signs in front of the church and think we're doing our job. No, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to those that are lost in the darkness. He showed it. So while we were yet sinners, while we were messed up, sinning, God was not condoning sin. When he caught the woman, the woman was cast down and judgment was upon her. Jesus did not condone the sin of the woman was that cast down before him. He did not condone her sin, but he did stand with her. And he did love her, and he did give her truth. And you know what? She stood there in shock, like, why in the world would anybody do this for me? You know what I love about Jesus Christ? He came to do the unexpected he came as a, as, as a king of kings, and he came as a suffering servant. He shocked the world. That's why a lot of them rejected it. It's like, this doesn't make sense. The love that God has through us ought to shock the world. I'm not talking about condoning sin, because Jesus never did. You say, well, Jesus had a bad rap. He did. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eatest your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said unto them, they that are whole need out a physician, but they that are sick. You know what Jesus said? You guys already know your identity. They don't. We spend so much time in this building that the world is dying and going to hell, and then we just get mad about it. Thank God for this building, but I'll tell you, things are going to change. We have got to get into the world because that's where they're dying and lost and scared and broken and hurting. We demonstrate genuine love for them, number two. We must communicate to them their value to God. To determine value, we sit there and say, like if you were selling something, it says, how much is it worth to you? How much would you give me for that? Jesus said it like this. It's in the same passage right there. He says that Christ died for us. A sinner is worth so much to Jesus Christ that he gave everything. I'm going to make a statement, and you need to understand this. If I said this, God loves sinners, what would you say? God loves sinners. God loves homosexuals. God does not love homosexuality. Do you see the difference there? And we, we, We've messed that up in our minds. We sit there, homosexuals, gays, all this other stuff. Do we do that at home with our kids? Where's my little liar? Get up, liar! Come get breakfast, liar. God loves you, liar. You know what we do? We label them by their sin. God doesn't do that. It, it, it's amazing how we, we, we do that with only this sin. But with everything else, like, here comes all the drunks. Bring the drunks into church. God loves the drunks being in the church. We, we label them. You know what it is? We identify them by their value to God. You matter so much to God that God gave everything. And by the way, he did the same thing for me. Stop exalting yourself above everybody else. The payment of sin was death. He said, that's what I'll pay for. Jesus said yes to it. He said, I don't know if that's important for me. He says, you are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You say, well, yeah, but they're on the other side. He says, but love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend and hoping for nothing and regain and return. Your reward shall be great. You shall be known as the children of the highest, is what he said. He said, for those that are against you or oppose you, he said, take off your coat and give it to them. He said, if they ask you to go one mile, you go two. Is that what we're doing? And I'm not even declaring that they're enemies, okay? I'm not. Don't, don't get that wrong. Don't walk out of here and say, they're our enemies. I'm not saying that. I am saying that in our minds, sometimes we treat them that way, and we wonder why they're lost in the darkness. We must have an agenda to help them. Just like Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. You can't do that by avoiding them. That's why Jesus went out of his way or went through the Samaritans to, to meet with them. We must speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love literally means love when he says, speak it this way. Charity suffered long. Love suffered long. It's patient. Love is kind. Do you show kindness through the truth that you give to them? By the way, kindness means to show oneself useful. Literally, it means to step in and help in such a way that's not you, that they're not used to getting. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not its own. Not easily provoked. Doesn't think evil. It doesn't make harsh statements. I've heard statements such as this. You know, if God doesn't do something to America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. God doesn't have to apologize to nobody. Don't say a foolish statement like that. It's by grace that you saved, and it's only by grace that God hasn't come back, which means that he's still wanting to save people that are still here. I want to end with this. We must be confident that they can be reached. 
I've had people say this. I don't know. I don't know. And we'll cover some of these issues tonight. I don't, I don't know if they could even, man, the Bible says reprobate mind and all this. And I, start, I, I did this with labels a while back when we had somebody come up on the stage. Know ye that the unrighteousness shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but be not deceived, neither fornicators. Fornicators is the Greek word pornos. Do the math. Nor adulterers, or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers themselves with mankind. And it goes through and says thieves and covetous and all drunkards and revilers and extortioners and all this other stuff. It says they won't enter in the kingdom of God. And you say, can they be reached? In that same list, when it says abusers of those uh, with same uh, sex, it's talking about sodomites or homosexuality. And then he says these words, and such were some of you. The only way that the Bible can say that is because of the fact is they were reached and changed. Such were some of you. Some of you were hooked on this and some of you had this, but such were some of you. I had a young girl come to my office and sit down. and She poured out her heart about struggling with this sin and today she's in ministry. I had a lady that sat right over there in one of our Christmas traumas and broke down and she says to the people next to her, she says, is it too late for me? Is it too late for me? Because God was breaking her heart, pulling him to them after 10 years of a homosexual relationship. There is no sin greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. 